3: That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.
2: ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only prohibited by law. 80 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ahoy, Mets fans. Welcome to episode 229 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation, New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, and we are in the throes of spring training right now. We are still a few weeks away from opening day, but we are having uh, Mets front-line pitchers pitching every day. Most of the folks are back from the World Baseball Classic, and so there is some stuff to talk about, some stuff that Chris McShannon and I get to right now. Well, Chris, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon and today Matt Harvey started for the Mets and there was a little bit of a concern about the lack of velocity that he showed. Um, I did not watch or listen to the game. I was on kids duty all day today. But, um, you know, the, the idea of Harvey having a dip in velocity is not a crazy one, especially after his uh, offseason surgery and, you know, just the process of coming back from a serious arm injury. So... Does does Harvey's dip in velocity bother you? Is it something you think is to be expected? And I know you, so I know you're not worrying yet. But at (laughs) what point will you begin to worry? Well, I will
0: say that I have at least a little bit of concern. And it's not because it's a surprise. Uh, It's just, you know, anytime there's something tangible like that. I think it's fair to at least be concerned about it. Okay. But, you know, that being said, he's Matt Harvey, and I know yeah. the track record of people coming back from this surgery is not uh let, let's say not as good as Tommy John, which is also not guaranteed.
2: Right, right. And it's also it's it's a little bit unknown. What happens in this surgery after the surgery? Because there haven't been too many pitchers that have gotten it, and specifically, there haven't been too many power pitchers at this point in their career that have gotten it.
0: Right. So, yeah, it's. I have some concern about it. I think the extent of it might be somewhat limited because he's still not throwing really slow. You know, the, (laughs) the reports today were he was sitting 92, 93. Touching 95, which obviously is not what we're used to seeing from Matt Harvey. Right. But it's not like he's sitting 88, 89 and touching 92. So that to me at the stage that he's in in his recovery, uh, you know, it's concerning, but not alarming. I want to see where he ends up and what he looks like pitching at that velocity before I, you know, Go too crazy? Yeah, that makes total sense to me. So, you know, you look and see... He... It it would be weird to see him averaging less than 95 on the fastball. Only because he's pretty much always been over that. Right. Uh, You know, even early last year, he was just below... Like depending on where you like to round at which <laughs> where after a decimal point, you know, you, you like to round, yeah, uh, yeah. you could end up calling it 95. So, and, and it got a little bit better as the season went on. Uh, yeah. So I think it's something that's worth watching. I think spring training velocity is sort of uh you know, when it was bad for DeGrom last year, it was, Oh, Hey, it's only spring training. And then this year it's really good, so it's like, "Oh, great, everything's perfect. The ground's velocity is already really <laughs> high, yeah, uh, I think I don't know I, there are fluctuations in velocity over the course of a season for any pitcher. um you know, temperature can have an effect, just the endurance of a full baseball season can have an effect, so I don't want to read too much into what's coming off the radar guns in St. Lucie, especially if he's, you know, I don't want to say he's not putting 100% into it because I would expect that he is, but not maxing out in spring training games.
2: Right. Which, which he shouldn't be doing anyway.
0: Right. So I, I guess my when I'm, I'm differentiating, 100% effort in terms of coming back from the surgery he had without having every pitch be... At that level of how hard he can throw. Right. So, you know, it's... I With anybody who returns from an injury, I still like to give a lot of weight to the talent and performance that they displayed before the injury in trying to figure out what they're going to look like when they come back. So I could see a very good season for Matt Harvey in which he is like the third or fourth best pitcher on this team. And that's okay. That's only because the other guys in the rotation are really good.
2: I was going to say, it's crazy to me that we're at a place now where uh, Matt Harvey being the third or fourth, fourth best pitcher on the team is a is a positive, uh, you know, development.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, not something that, if you told anyone in twenty thirteen that that would be the case, you yeah, nobody would have
2: believed you yeah it would have been a it would have been a mad panic if we if people thought that
0: right, well, yeah, the only two conclusions there would be that you know Harvey fell off a cliff mm-hmm. uh, or that you know the Mets were sold and went out and signed, <laughs> yeah, uh. Every signed or acquired in some way, every expensive, great pitcher that was available.
2: Right. Because, I mean, who else would have been the pitchers on the Mets in 2013?
0: (laughs) Right. Oh, yeah. 2013, you still had plenty of John Neese and Dylan G. Yeah. Um, Let's reminisce a little bit more and actually. (laughs)
2: Let me see if I can do this. Uh, It'll be Neese G. Would Wheeler
0: Wheeler have been there? No, he was in the org, but he wasn't up yet. So let's just, yeah, go for uh, just five, the five, one, two, three, four, five, not necessarily in order. We're bringing bringing back some Robcast here. A little bit of trivia on the spot. All right, so
2: we got got Harvey, we got Nice, we got G. Yeah. 2013. Uh... Dickie, or was he already gone at that point? No, that was the first season that he was gone. Okay.
0: Um... And G, G uh, was the uh, leader in innings at oh, 199. Boy. So, yeah, Harvey, Nice, G. Hefner? Oh, wait, you said Wheeler. I said Wheeler, yeah. That was correct. Oh, okay.
2: He was in the org, and he got called up. I was going to say that that was the, the Super Tuesday year.
0: Yeah, he threw exactly uh, 100 innings. So,
2: so same as this year. Got it. Yeah.
0: So I, I wasn't quite there yet on getting the filter adjusted right. on Fangraphs.
2: So, yes. So all right, you got four out of the top five. Uh, not Hefner, right? Yes, Hefner. Oh, there we go. Hey, okay. hey.
0: That's a very different <laughs> rotation. <laughs> yeah, saying Harvey's
2: the bet, the fourth best out of that. Right. Uh,
0: Yeah, no, that would be alarming. (laughs) You know, at that point in time, you could say, all right, Wheeler pans out. And
2: and Nice really puts it together.
0: Right, which was something that I always thought was going to happen. And now I just laugh that, you know, um, he's a Yankee. Yeah, exactly.
2: A minor league Yankee.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, nothing personal. No, no. That little, he sort of like dipped his toes into above average pitching. (laughs) And then it's like the water there was too cold and he...
2: he he left he dipped his toe in like the the six weeks before his extension (laughs) you know like he did it he did it just in time to get to get a decent amount of money from the Mets and then uh never again
0: yeah that that was a totally fair contract oh absolutely yeah both sides and that was a good example of a team doing something that made complete sense and it not exactly working out
2: right not not being a disaster either
0: no, I mean, it was the the best part of it all was that they had him around to turn him into Neil Walker. Yeah. I, was, know, uh, I, I know there's people will lament the loss of Daniel Murphy. That's fine. People liked him and he exploded, you know, in the first season that he was not with the Mets. Totally fine. Fair complaint. But turning Nice into Walker is um,
2: that's a magic trick
0: it is i i still don't get it i don't know what pittsburgh
2: saw there pittsburgh has made a lot of weird deals with new york teams they really have now, i was talking with a friend of mine the other day about uh it's like some of the best trades in met history he's a big uh, blue jays fan and he was saying how he feels like you know the, giving up um Syndergaard and darno and all that is the worst trade in blue jays history and i said that i think that that's the best trade in mets history especially when you start really um like going down the rabbit hole with it a bit like you know john buck was traded to pittsburgh for uh uh it was Dilson herrera right yeah who was then, who was okay. then traded for jay bruce you know so when you start to really go down the go down the rabbit hole a bit that trade just keeps getting better and better right Regardless of how you feel about uh, Jay Bruce, I guess.
0: Yeah. But Dilson Herrera was still a guy who was able to land you someone, uh, even if you think he's really bad, still a major league hitter who's capable of hitting home runs. Absolutely. You know, not, they didn't trade him for the 2016 version of John Buck. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we'll see. And it's well documented how we both hope things go for Jay Bruce over the you know first month or two of the season and
2: what becomes of that. And that and that will take that trade even further down the uh, path of great Mets trades if he actually has a productive first half and can be flipped for somebody else. Yeah, we'll just continue that that trade. And you figure all of that started with an R. A. Dickey minor league signing
0: yeah that is that is the craziest part I love actually looking back you know and, and we haven't done one of these ourselves um, or ourselves in a while I, I feel like there was something at some point but just tracing back everybody who's on
2: the roster yeah to where they came from right that, that is fun
0: yeah it's just uh you know, I mean, I think obviously the oldest connection would be Mike Hampton leaving for David Wright's draft pick.
2: I yeah, I guess so. So with right? Cologne gone, he's yeah. he's the I guess Granderson might have been drafted before Wright, but not not coming to the Mets. So yeah, right, yeah, yeah. In terms of the like Mets transaction involved, but. Yeah.
0: Brainstorming pieces on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to watch
2: my kids one day, I'd be happy to write that piece.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I've been, you know, we've been on a little bit of a Lego Star Wars kick here. I, I've seen
2: that. I've seen that. Yes.
0: Yeah. It, so, you know, if they're into that,
2: <laughs> that yeah. would work. We can we can make it work. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I just to sort of close the book on Harvey here. At what point do you get, Legitimately concerned. It, it, does it have to be five or six major league starts into the season for you to get legitimately concerned? Because I think that's where I am. I, I think if, if in May his velocity is still down, then I'll officially say, okay, something's something needs to be done here.
0: Yeah, and two different things for me. I would say five or six starts of getting shelled or...
2: Right, yeah, yeah.
0: Or just being whatever, whatever it is that isn't working. Uh, I would need to see that before I start thinking. And I don't think anyone is thinking this at this point, but I would imagine if he had one bad start or two bad starts, you'd start to hear people saying, Hey, maybe he needs a little time in the minors to, you know, get things together. And Zach Wheeler's over here, you know, and he's, he looks a little closer ready. He's available. I, I, don't want to go down that path any sooner than uh, is absolutely necessary. And, you know, I think part of it is just keeping these guys primed so that when you get to October, and obviously we've learned uh, not just last year, but in general, watching baseball or any sport, it's not always easy to keep a team healthy uh, going into the most important time of the season. Right. Because you got to get there. But to the extent that they can do that, you know, I'd like Wheeler to be able to contribute late in the season, even if his innings cap is 125, which was what Sandy Alderson had mentioned, which was slightly higher than what Dan Warthen mentioned uh, a few weeks ago. That's still not a lot of innings to play with to have him be around, even if it's in September. Uh, so yeah, I I like that. You know, Syndergaard is the clear opening day starter. If DeGrom is really in top form, he may still be the best pitcher on the team. And, you know, that's just... For the two of them to both go into a season thinking Cy Young contention is realistic, is uh, it's a treat. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm not... I, I would need to see significant poor results on Harvey before I start thinking about you know, is this a problem that
2: needs to be solved? I agree with that. Um, I also think that, you know, no nope, no, not going to say it. I, I was going to say something that was going to cast possibly a, uh, a negative light on the situation, but I'm going to stay optimistic. I'm taking a page from my friend Chris McShane. <laughs> so uh, that brings us to, um, I, I guess we should talk about the Winter Classic. Rumors are that the Winter Classic, the yearly outdoor NHL game, is it always New Year's Day or is it just around New Year's Day? Uh,
0: as far as I know, I should know the answer to this exactly, but as far as I know, it's been on New Year's Day consistently since since it started. Yeah.
2: Uh, but rumor is 2018, we'll see this be uh, at City Field, which would be, I think, a lot of fun. I love going to see hockey in person. I love going to City Field. If I can combine those two things for one day, it's a pretty good deal. Uh, Chris, you're a much bigger hockey fan than I am. What do you think about the Winter Classic? Just in general, before we get to City Field, what do you think of the Winter Classic in general? I think it's a lot of fun.
0: Oh, yeah. As an event, I love it. It's, uh, you know, it sounded a little quirky when they first did it, but they've packed every stadium that they've had it in. I've never actually been to a Winter Classic game. I did go when they have sort of expanded and done the stadium series. Um they have a couple other names for specific games. I forgot the name of the Canada-specific one, uh, but it's in person. I was at the night game at Yankee Stadium, Rangers Islanders. Mm-hmm. That I think it was like 14 or 15 degrees when the game started. Jeez. <laughs> yeah that that was cold. I honestly don't know how those guys competed. You know, in that intense of an environment playing an NHL game, uh, in that temperature, you know, the, the benches are heated and everything. It's a little, there are some attempts at offering comfort, but when you're out there going full tilts, it, you know, it's got to like burn. <laughs> oh, it has to. So, but yeah. So it, you know, you, you put hockey into a, a different style of arena. I think I, uh, from a viewing experience in person, it's probably a lot better in a football stadium Just because, you know, it's a smaller surface, but the concept of, you know, this kind of circle or oval that goes around uh, lines up better. Right. You know, we were actually on the field level uh, for, for that game. But in hindsight, I would have preferred to be second level, you know, maybe even the upper deck. Just somewhere you get over a little bit more because you know the way the rink is set up depending on where exactly they put it you might be in a seat that would be amazing for baseball but since the rink is out somewhere around second base short center field you don't have that you don't have that angle to see over right. so like there's just a certain part of the ice that gets completely cut off if you're sitting low down so assuming this does actually happen uh, that's my seating advice shoot for the 300 or 400 level <laughs> At City Field, just don't buy all the tickets and make them cost a million dollars.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a pretty I think it's a pretty popular event among um, among sports fans. I don't know why it wouldn't be. It's a lot of fun. It's a cool idea, and I think that City Field is a uh, is a ballpark that you know has lots of nice amenities and would probably be well suited to this. The only downside is the downside of the event in general, which is it's going to be damn cold.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's some point... (laughs) I don't know. I I hope to never get to a point that I would say, nope, not going to do that. It's too cold. But that game that I went to was about as close to that point as (laughs) you can get. Yeah. And I know there's some football towns and cities that get colder on a consistent basis, and I'm sure the... Uh, You know, a couple of the outdoor games in Canada have been much colder, but hey, you know, for the climate that we live in here in New York City, that's about the point where I start to go, all right, three hours outside, am I
2: like, am I crazy? (laughs) Well, the the other other thing is that it's not like, all right, so I went to a couple of Pittsburgh Steelers games when I was in college that were fucking freezing i mean like you know (laughs) uh people were afraid to like touch the handrails because your hand was going to freeze to the handrail right that kind of cold right but but here's the thing if you want to see a steelers game that's your option if you want to see a hockey game there are 81 other games you can go to or 80 other games you go to you know uh that are indoors during the year yeah so yeah it's uh
0: it, it's a lot of fun, I think, even with the freezing part of it. And you never know. I mean, it, with the way this winter has been, uh, this game could be two days after a blizzard. Uh, it could be <laughs> 70 degrees and they yep. they can't play because there's no ice. <laughs> That's an excellent point. Uh, you know, it's, it's unpredictable in that regard. But in terms of the actual uh, rumored game, Rangers Sabres, I enjoy Rangers-Islanders games. Uh, I do not enjoy Islanders fans. Snap. It, it, no, I mean, I, I think they would probably, some of them are probably listening. They'd probably say the same thing about Rangers fans. Um, so objectively speaking, that would be the game that would make the most sense to have there. But Rangers-Sabers kind of makes islanders fans really angry and in that sense i find it very funny (laughs) (laughs) Uh. and i get it like queens you know especially not that city field is like on the border of nassau county but it's not far it's it's on the way Yeah. yeah you know i mean it's 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 not like the most distant reaches of queens but there's a reason i think that generally uh Mets fans and Islanders fans come from often come from the same place, uh, Long Island. But yeah, no, I it's just I would I find it really funny. Uh, and you know, if you're trying to be objective, the Sabres do travel fairly well. You know, you probably have a decent amount of people from that part of New York. Who are in New York City regularly Having seen some games against the Sabres In the Garden over the years It's nothing like the atmosphere Of Rangers Islanders and Rangers Devils But there are more Sabres fans than you would think So right. like it, it, If you're looking at it from that uh, That angle It's probably Not as crazy and random As you might think
2: That makes sense I'm uh I'm excited for it. I think it'll be fun. Speaking of things that have been fun, man this World Baseball Classic has been a lot of fun, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, I'm on board, not to the point that I've watched every game,
0: but I've at least had games that are on when I'm awake on in the, you know, in the background and then there's been a couple games worth staying tuned in for. You know, some of the extra inning stuff that's gone on. Uh even the Dominican comeback against the United States in Miami uh, last Saturday night was kind of crazy and a Absolutely. lot of fun to watch. And, you know, just to see a it's, – it's a very different feel in general for, you know, a baseball crowd. But to see a crowd that was so dominantly supporting the DR and just into it, you know, that park is dead. Uh, most of the time we've yeah. watched the Mets play a lot of games there, and <laughs> for the most part it's you know not well attended, and the Marlins have pretty much been a bad team, you know, not like Philly's bad, but bad, so there's just not been a lot of excitement and uh in that case in particular, the roof was open, you know it just it felt much more like hey. Exciting baseball in Miami—that that's kind of a cool thing. It's yeah. not something that we get to see.
2: So, conversely, did you happen to see any of the, I guess it was Venezuela, Italy game the other night, uh, the tiebreaker game? I did not. It was a fun game to watch, but it was held in Mexico, and there was—I'm going to ballpark here—forty fans in the ballpark. <laughs> like there was nobody there because Mexico had just been eliminated the day before. Right, with a and a legitimate
0: knock on the WBC that there was not complete clarification on exactly what the tiebreaker situation.
2: Exactly, yes. So
0: right, so they they actually went from, you know, there was there were reporters saying at the end of their uh, their game on Sunday. Mexico advances to the tiebreaker against Italy, and then shortly thereafter, wait, no, Venezuela nope. is saying they're playing in the tiebreaker, uh, and, and sort of getting a correction and clarification on that. So, yeah, it was uh, – I did see the lack of crowd. And yeah. That was not surprising.
2: But it was amazing because that was like a couple of days after that uh, comeback – The Dominican Republic comeback, which was, you know, the hottest crowd in Miami baseball history, probably. Right. And uh, just incredible to watch. But um, there is a little bit of Mets-centric news here. Brandon Nimmo tweaked the hamstring, but should be ready, if not for opening day, shortly thereafter, which is, as you said before the podcast started, about as good of a hamstring injury as you can get. Yeah. So that's that's good uh, in that regard. Um, the other Mets that are that are well, and he's no longer in the World Baseball Classic because Team Italy was eliminated. Sadly, I was really hoping for my uh, my countrymen to uh, step up, but you know, nice job, boys. Seeing Italy and Israel do so well was a lot of fun. Israel has been so, was so much fun to watch. Yeah, and again, an amazingly met centric team with Ty right. Kelly and uh, and um, Ike Davis on the team.
0: Yeah, being excited to watch Ike Davis play was sort of a
2: a new thing. Yeah, <laughs> just goes to show, 2017 is gonna mess with you to the a, end.
0: A new, a new old thing. Yeah, <laughs> not not the baseball throwback you were expecting.
2: No, not at all.
0: Uh, but yeah, no, it's you know as as this moves on, we already know that we get another USDR game. Uh, you know, Puerto Rico and Venezuela aren't teams to be overlooked either. It's, uh, it's a fun pool that the United States is in in the second round here. I think Japan
2: uh, still hasn't lost, right?
0: Uh, as far as I know, that is correct. Yeah. Unless yeah, they yeah. lost and, today. And they're, they're always dangerous in this.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, they... They're just... I think they're they're legitimately talented and there's sort of that, you know, thing that we I think we touched on a little bit recently. Uh, but just to different style of play, uh, you know, different looks, unfamiliarity between leagues, and it's worked out well for them in these, you know, round robin and then single elimination uh, tournaments that, that the
2: WBC is. And I think they also just have a, a real good understanding of what tournament baseball is, mm-hmm. whereas some of the other teams, I think the U S included is still building their roster for a, a series as opposed to a tournament.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: Um, and, go ahead.
0: Oh yeah, no, it's. Uh, it it should be fun to watch. You know, I'm I'm hopeful. That, to me, I just want to get. You know, another a third USDR game in the mix. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um. But there's lots of other combinations that it would be fun to watch and. I don't know, it's, you know, I know some people knock it and aren't into it and consider it just a different form of exhibition, but that's not that's not what the tournament is to me when I watch it. I think it matters a lot to a lot of teams that are involved and I think this sort of thing is much better for baseball uh, on the international level than playing a token opening day game.
2: Oh, exactly. You know, in a
0: country, you know.
2: Yeah. I agree with that completely.
0: I mean, obviously, I don't think the uh the unclear rules did baseball any favors in Mexico, but I also don't think, you know, that's going to like torpedo the sport there.
2: No, I, I agree with that. Um I guess my my only question about the WBC at this point is do you think that there's a way or I guess not as a way, is there a time that is better to hold it than right now? Is the beginning of spring training the best time for this? This has been debated ad nauseum, but I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Do you think that this is the proper time to put players out there for potential injury risk? Or do you think that there's another time in the year that would make more sense?
0: From that standpoint, it might make the most sense to do it after the season ends. I can see why baseball wouldn't want to have the World Series and then transition into the World Baseball Classic. Right. You know, sort of taking away any significance from the World Series itself just because that's basically the end point of baseball. Right. You you look at guys, you know, obviously the Arizona Fall League is a thing, the Winter Leagues exist, and some players who are veterans like to to play in those uh Estrubo Cabrera was one of them and you know he was doing it essentially to prepare to be on team Venezuela and then did not get invited to participate right uh and wasn't happy about it but you know you have sort of different approaches to the off season uh in different places but i think the winter leagues the the AFL that you know it's all at least in a uh, they're all examples that you can play after baseball's regular season is done and not take on a a major injury risk,
2: you know? Right. I think that the other problem with doing it at the end of the year is, I mean, just think about it this way. Think about how many Mets were hurt. Right. At the end of the season, you know, are you going to have just a decimated roster because some of the players are hurt or, or, you know, don't want to, or on the verge of being hurt, have that lingering injury that they know if they rest up, they'll be good by the spring, but they don't want to necessarily push another three weeks or so. Um, I've also heard it proposed that the years for the World Baseball Classic that there's uh, essentially a two week All Star break, and it's been in the middle of the season, but that seems to be the most problematic to me.
0: Right, that would be. I the. Most similar thing would be the NHL taking a break for the Olympics. Right. But even that would be a very condensed format. Like, I think if you were going to go into that, you'd probably have to make it, you know, get rid of the round robins and essentially just have seeds, uh, you know, go into it and, and play that way. But I don't see baseball giving up the All Star game itself and teams in the midst of a season. You know, I, I understand that they wouldn't want their players to be hurt ever. But I could see in the middle of a season that they would be adamantly opposed. Um, from a competitive standpoint, that certainly seems like the best time to do it. You know, guys are in their regular season, mid-season form, as we all like to, uh, you know, throw that phrase around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so, yeah, I guess given the options, I think what they're doing is probably the best all around. If you really wanted to give it the most significance, then the middle of the season would be the the best. If you were strictly concerned with doing that and accomplishing that, then right. you know, that would be the way to do it. But I, I would favor doing this more often in the current format. Uh, I know the, the manager of Team Puerto Rico – did an in-game interview last night in which that came up. And he said, I, you know, I'd love to do it every other year. Um, or maybe that sort of gives teams the ability to rotate guys a little bit more, you know, not make the same teams and players be burdened by whatever, you know, whatever workload is put on them. Right, right. In the tournament, but yeah, and... You know, right now, obviously the the Mets contingent has been uh, reduced. I think we're down to
2: three, right? Yeah, no four.
0: Uh,
2: Seth Lugo and T.J. Rivera for Puerto Rico. Oh yeah, yes. And um, Hansel Robles and um, Jerry Familia for uh, Dominican.
0: Yes, and former Met Carlos Beltran.
2: With his, his, you go. You say it. I can't even say it. Beltran's
0: blonde beard.
2: It's oh, the worst.
0: John Neese should send him like a check <laughs> to get that fixed at, at like a barbershop. Uh, huh. That would be that was like that would be the least John Neese thing ever uh based on the personality of uh, that we saw when he was with the Mets to take part in a lighthearted joke uh <laughs> on a former teammate who, who you know as the story goes paid for some uh, work on his nose. I would find that very entertaining. But, so would uh, I. But yeah. I mean,
2: I'll chip in for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Beltran, uh I am not a huge wrestling guy. And I don't know whether or not that changed from lots of wrestling talk to uh, minimal wrestling talk on this podcast was something <laughs> that people liked or didn't like. <laughs> I, I had a couple stints of paying attention and watching it in like fourth and fifth grade and then ninth and tenth grade okay that sounds Um, about right so there have been some wrestling references that i don't know if i could get correct in terms of who he looks like right now uh but i've seen them i've heard them from friends i've seen them online like there's you know uh carlos beltran looks like a wrestler from like 10 years ago
2: is the consensus or maybe 20 years ago Uh, i now have to do some research yeah i'll uh I'll report back for next week.
0: <laughs> yes. But that being said, it's a lot easier to enjoy him doing good things on a baseball field uh, when it's not against the Mets, not for the Yankees, not for the Cardinals. Ugh, that, that was like, I think that was a little more gross to me than even his Yankees years. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, you know, don't
2: tell Keith. <laughs> uh Do you think Keith Hernandez, if there was a fire in his house and he could save either the Cardinals or his family, who would he save?
0: (laughs) I don't know. He seems like a family man, but.
2: I don't know. It's closer than it should be. Yeah. He loves the Cardinals. (laughs) He 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 really does. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, any, uh, I guess as we wrap up here, any uh, rooting interest in the WBC at this point? Um.
0: Well, it would be nice to see the United States win one. So, you know, I think that would be my my preference. Not to sound unpatriotic, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I was a little more invested in Team USA when David Wright was a big part of it. Um, so that, that's only natural. You know, you get attached to guys who you've seen, you, you know, who, who are on your team. And who you've seen in person. Right, so, right. So, yeah, there's there's that. I'd like to see the U.S. win one. Macy is chiming in with her, uh, her thoughts in the background. Uh, and then aside from that, it would be cool to see somebody new win it. And, you know, Japan and the, the DR have great teams that aren't undeserving. But it would be fun to see Puerto Rico win it or – you know the Netherlands though, yeah yeah just a just somebody new uh but ultimately i what i like about this is it's competitive baseball and you know you you can root for your country at least coming from like my perspective i can root for the united states but if they don't succeed i'm not going to have that kind of thing that if the Mets get eliminated from the playoffs, I don't want to watch anything else. Right, right, exactly. Um, You know, it's sort of the cliche, but just rooting for good games. Like Just just fun, exciting baseball games. Uh, And maybe that's the ultimate appeal, like escaping the routine and just changing things up a little bit and appreciating the actual game of baseball instead of, the game of baseball as seen strictly through the lens of a Mets fan all the time. Yeah. Because it's a very different world. You know, it's, it's easy to get caught up in, uh, you know, what did the Mets say about this guy's injury and when did they say it and how did it change? And, you know, start to, that sort of obsessive fanatic level. And, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not just casting that on other people. We're a part of it. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's nice to take a step back from that and just go, oh, hey, here's a bunch of guys who are really good at baseball. This might be fun to watch.
2: Yeah, I, I feel like when I was um, when I was younger and the Mets were really bad all the time, I could get really invested in a playoff series because there was no chance the Mets could have been there, you know, but these last couple of years have made it hard to care about the playoffs after the Mets are out of it. So right. I agree. Yeah, it's been fun. And uh, when does it wrap up? It's soon, right? couple By the by this time next week, are we done? Uh, yeah, it, so it's
0: um, – let's see. So you have the – this round, Robin, goes through the weekend, and then after that it goes into basically – WBC version of the Final Four. So I'd have to look at the exact dates, but it, it should wrap up pretty quickly after this. Yeah. Yeah, the semifinals are on the twentieth and twenty first, and then the final uh the championship game is on the twenty second. So that's not
2: that far away. Not done. <laughs> and that means that opening day isn't that far away. That is correct. This is all good news.
1: Hey everyone, this is Steve Saipa, and this week I want to talk a little bit more about the World Baseball Classic, which is in full swing right now. So I want to just hit on some five World Baseball Classic surprises. Uh, Number five, and I guess it's not really that much of a surprise, uh, is how much the American crowd is fighting it. Um, At least the World Baseball Classic seems to be catching on more here, but I mean, compared to the rest of the world, we're lagging far behind uh, ratings are higher than they've ever been in Japan, in Korea, in the Netherlands, other countries. And uh, the March 12th game between Japan and the Netherlands was the most watched TV program in Japan that entire day. And, you know, Japan is a very media-centric country, so that's no, that's, that's no small feat to uh, have been able to do that. I think that access is a pretty big issue uh, here in the U.S. I mean, I have to stream the games online through... Dubious means because I don't get the channel that it's on and there's no other way to watch it. So, you know, if the competition was more readily available to more people, that would probably do a lot to get more people interested in it. And another thing is that, as Noah Syndergaard made pretty clear, uh, a large chunk of the American players don't care. And I think that, you know, could be a chicken or an egg thing. Do they not care because people don't have vested interest? And then people don't have a vested interest, is that because the players don't care? You know, I don't know. But um, Mike Trout said that there's no way that he's missing the next one. So hopefully having the best player in the world uh, be excited and gung-ho about the next WBC hypes everyone up and kind of gets more people into it. And now the next point, number four, is how dysfunctional baseball in Taiwan is. So I touched on this in our WPC preview, but I'll just go over it again. On uh, Taiwan, there's two competing factions, if you want to call them, in the baseball sphere. There's the CPBO, which is the Chinese Professional Baseball League, which is you a know, private organization. It's you an know, analog of the MLB that's in Taiwan. And then there's the CTBA, which is the Chinese Taipei Baseball Association, which is a semi-private, semi-governmental body that basically... It governs national athletics, like the national team, uh, national baseball standards, you know, stuff like that. So there have been issues in the past between the two groups. Um, One of the bigger issues has been the CTBA basically forcing the CPBL to loan uh, the Taiwanese national team players to participate in competitions. And a lot of the time that happens in the middle of the season and they the c t b a basically gets it away by holding um, the mandatory military service card over the players' heads, so they're in a you know they they're backed into a corner and feel like they have to go which hurts the c p b l team and a handful of minor leaguers in the um in japan korea and the u s and then uh making things even worse. When the CTBA has done this, um, they've shown that they really haven't had the best interest of those "quote unquote" borrowed players in mind um, by having things like have having pitchers throw an excessive amount of pitches, and you know, generally not really caring about the repercussions of their performance as opposed to just their performance itself. So this year, there's an issue between the CPBL. And the CTBA, in regards to the World Baseball Classic, because both sides wanted their own manager to manage the team, uh, the CTBA got their way, and the CPBL basically organized a boycott of some, uh, of sorts. Um, and the Lamingo Monkeys, which is one of the teams in the CPBL, didn't send any players to the team, to to the Chinese Taipei um team in the World Baseball Classic, and two of the better players in the league uh, are on the Lamingo Monkeys, so as a result, the Chinese Taipei WBC team uh, suffered, and lo and behold, they went 0-3, and they're going to have to requalify for the next World Baseball Classic despite you know having a considerable baseball history in the country, having a considerable program, you know, and so on. So the end result though is that there have been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of petitions calling for the C T B A to be looked into. Um over forty thousand people have signed online petitions calling for that. And politicians have said that they'll look into the matter. Uh issue though is that the C T B A is made up of a lot of former politicians. And they've taken money under the table, and they've passed money under the table in the past. So, you know, we'll see if anything actually gets done. Point three, surprise number three, is how exciting the games have been. I mean, some of these games have been pretty crazy. Uh, Israel beat Korea 2-1 to in the 10th inning. Netherlands beat Taiwan 6-5 to in the bottom of the ninth. Italy came back from five runs down in the bottom of the ninth to beat Mexico 10-9. to the U.S. beat Colombia 3-2 to in the bottom of the ninth. Venezuela beat uh, Italy uh, 11-10 to in the 10th inning. The Dominican Republic came back from a 5-run deficit and beat the U.S. 7-5. to uh, The DR also scored 7 runs against Colombia in the 11th inning. Um, Venezuela scored 3 runs in the ninth inning. And then Italy rallied in the bottom of the ninth, but just came up short and lost by a run. I don't know. This is exciting baseball. It's... You know, maybe I'm a little biased, but this is a lot better than just kind of la da spring training games where you have kind of everyone giving it a half-hearted effort, you know? Point two. Surprise number two now is just basically how poorly Team Cuba did. I mean, the Cuban national team, <clears throat> it's not as good as they were in the past, but they still have a good team. I mean, Frederick Zepeda and Alfredo Despane are world-class players. Uh, Yelki Cespedes, Victor Mesa Jr., and Levon Moniello are prospects that would rank among the best in most uh, Mono League systems. And then plenty of other, of the secondary guys on the national team are solid. And, you know, they'd fit in anywhere between AA, A, and a couple of, you know, even bit roles or starting roles on kind of some of the second division teams. So, I mean... It's not like it's a terrible team, but, you know, Cuba went 2-1 in the first round. They lost to Japan, which is fair. I mean, a lot of teams have lost to Japan, and they beat China and Australia. But then in the second round, they got routed. They lost all three games. I mean, it was a tough schedule. They faced a surging in Israel, and then, you know, they faced Japan again, and they faced a pretty good Netherlands team. But in the games that they lost, they didn't even really seem that competitive. I mean... They looked like they were just kind of making the motions against Israel and Japan, and then they got blown out 14-1 to 1 against the Netherlands, so it's just a little surprising, you know. You expect them with the mystique and aura around, you know, Cuban baseball and the Cuban national team, you just expect them to do a little bit better, even though it's not, you know, as good of a team as it was in the past and now our number 1 world baseball classic surprise and this is probably goes for most is just how good team israel did i mean let's let's look at let's look at this team it's <laughs> it's not really that great of a team all right team israel's best pitcher Arguably, I guess, is Josh Zide, who I think on a side note, the Mets should resign for their bullpen uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, as a reliever, he actually doesn't seem halfway bad. Uh, his fastball is a little bit of oomph sitting in the mid-90s, and his slider is playing up better as a result. And he kind of slid in well with Jason Bradford and Paul Seawalt, or maybe even replace Seawalt completely if he got a promotion to the Mets' bullpen sometime in the season. But yeah, back to the point, I mean, their pitching staff is not particularly good. And then looking at their position players, it's not that much better. Ty Kelly, you know, the Mets guy, was the player that accrued the most um, value in 2016 when he, when he accrued 0.4 F-4. So, I mean, just looking at their roster... We have two catchers, Ryan Laverneway and Nick Rickles. Their infielders are Scott Bertram, Ike Davis, Cody Decker, Nate Fryman, Ty Kelly, and Tyler Krieger. And their outfielders are Zach Borenstein, Sam Fold, Blake Guilin, and Mike Myers. So that's not a very compelling lineup. But yet they went undefeated in the first round, and they were 4-0 and before losing to the Netherlands. And then... Um, losing some more and getting bumped out of the competition. I mean, on the whole, the team is probably something like a AA or AAA team, which is on par with, like, Korea or Cuba. But those other teams, at least, you know, in theory, had the advantage of being a more cohesive unit, especially the Cuban team. Um, You know, just getting more practice in with each other, getting more practice in, period, and kind of knowing each other better and how everyone plays and their respective strengths and weaknesses. But, you know, I guess there's something for that kind of, you know, I know everyone hates the term, but there's something, I guess, for that grit that Team Israel had, that just kind of chip on their shoulder that, you know, we're playing for kind of national-slash-religious pride. And I guess, most importantly, it was that, you know, the magic of the mensch on the bench... So anyway, so the World World Baseball Classic has been pretty fun, and there's some more games left, so we'll uh, see what happens. I still say that Team Japan is going to win the whole thing. Um, I think that, on paper, Team Dominican Republic is more skilled, uh, but I think that Team Japan plays better as a cohesive uh, unit And as a result, they are going to become three-time champions. So we'll see. We'll see. So uh, this is Steve Saipa. And everyone, take care.
3: Welcome back to Forgotten Mets. I'm your host, Brian Renzi. In honor of the 2017 campaign, we'll spend some time in the coming months looking back at players who had a hand in the 67, 77, 87, 97, and 07 teams. Last week we looked at Ed Charles, who arrived in Flushing in 67. This week we'll look at a player who made his Major League debut in 87, outfielder Mark Carrion. The most poignant memory that sticks out to me about Carrion was an incredible catch he made where he crashed into a wall, robbing an extra base hit, snow coning it in the edge of his glove, but when he crashed into the wall, the ball flipped out of his glove back towards the infield, and he managed to regain his balance and dive and catch it with his bare hand on the warning track. What made it all the more remarkable is that he made the same catch twice um, on separate occasions. I can't recall whether it was the same season or two separate seasons, but he literally made the exact same crazy bare-handed diving catch after he almost caught it twice. Um, That, and he also hit a bunch of pinch-hit home runs, including some game winners, Um, and he ended up being the Mets' career all-time pinch-hit home run leader. Uh, Carrion, uh, his father was Cam Carrion, who played eight years in the Bigs catcher back in the 1960s, And I guess he had his dad to thank for the strange situation where he was a. Mark Carrion was a left handed thrower, but a right handed hitter. Either way, um, those of you who are frustrated with Brandon Nimmo about to embark on his third year at AAA, Mark Carrion's got, you know, it, it sets an example for another player who, again, uh, played for the Mets farm system at a time when there was a glut of talented outfielders. So, carrying starting outfielder in Water, 1986, 1987, 1988. <clears throat> and even though he had cups of coffee with the team, with the parent club in 87 and 88, He was starting his fourth season at Tidewater in 89 before he finally got a reasonable shot in season in May of 89. Uh, Then his second major league hit was a pinch hit homer. His third major league hit was a late inning go-ahead pinch hit homer that gave the Mets a win. And that became a bit of a theme as he went on to hit four pinch hit home runs in his rookie season. Which was the Mets' season record until it was recently broken by Jordan Valdespin in 2012. Now, Carrion was a corner outfielder by trade and came up as such in '89, but as we all know, the acquisition of Juan Samuel and jettisoning two, of the two beloved centerfielders, Lenny Dykstra and Mookie Wilson ended up opening up a Pandora's box in center field where anyone could get out there Uh, you know we ended up having a second baseman playing out there Keith Miller we had Hojo out there later on at some point we had um, well in in 1990 anyway you had Miller a second baseman another corner outfielder Daryl Boston and um Carrion Sharing center field out there. And Carrion was raking against lefties in 1990, he had an 829 OPS. Um, but he ended up getting injured late August on the base paths. And in a situation somewhat familiar to last year's fans with uh, Wilmer Flores' injury it came back it probably came back to haunt them that's more than we remember or really thought of at the time for uh a, a, the short end of a platoon guy getting injured what's the big deal but he was then replaced by Keith Miller at a 675 OPS against lefties uh, also Darren Reed who never amounted to much um hit, who hit a career high 205 that season Got some playing time, Daryl Boston also played some against lefties at that point, but he was definitely not a full-time player hitting 612 OPS against lefties. in any event the the Mets were up half a half a game on the Pirates on September third when they proceeded to lose four straight games to lefties without their lefty masher <clears throat> carrying in the lineup. This including a crushing sweep at the hands of the Pirates, who would eventually win the division. But the Mets did get within the half half game of the Pirates, again as late as September 20th, but then got swept in a doubleheader by two Expos lefties. Carrion continued on as uh, the lead right-handed bench bat, sometime outfielder the next two seasons, uh, after the 92 season, he was traded with Tony Phillips to Detroit for Paul Gibson. After a year in purgatory there, he was sent off to San Francisco, where suddenly started hitting really quite well. Um, and in 1996, he became a hero to every baseball fan outside of San Francisco by getting into a fight with Barry Bonds. Uh, according to Jeff Perlman's biography of Bonds, called Love Me, Hate Me, Uh, The fight was over, a comment Bonds made about Karrion's wife. Bonds apologized and called Karrion one of his best friends on the team. According to Karrion, I didn't even like Barry, and he thought we were good friends. Man, is he bizarre. Never miss an opportunity to kick Barry Bonds, I guess, if you're me. In any event, later that year, later in 96, he was... Carrion was traded to the Indians, who were on their way to the playoffs. He stepped in as their starting first baseman and was hitting as well as he ever had with a 324 average and an 835 OPS when, again, in late August, a tragedy in the form of an injury bug struck. He fouled the ball off his shin and injured himself to an extent that he ended up not playing another game for the rest of the year, which was kind of a problem for the Indians trying to find a first baseman, and it ended up that the Indians had to play another ex-Met who got in a fight with Barry Bonds, Jeff Kent. Out of position at first base during the division series against the Orioles, Kent couldn't handle a short hop throw from Sandy Alomar Jr. on a potential double play ball, which allowed a go-ahead run to score. And basically broke open a tie game and gave the Orioles a 2-0 series lead over the soon to be doomed Indians. But um so that so that's the second time in his career like an injury to him really seemed to affect uh, outcomes for his team. Uh, evidently, the leg injury he suffered was serious enough where he didn't get any takers that off season in free agency, so he ended up jumping to Japan at just age 32. He had a couple of nondescript seasons there and then called it a career. Life after baseball wasn't quite as kind to Mark Carrion. 1999, he was charged with stalking, burglarizing, and kidnapping his estranged wife. Perhaps some of his bizarre behavior, bizarre and dangerous behavior, was explained by the Mitchell Report, where he was identified as a PED user. Evidently, he started in on him when he shared a locker room with his buddy, Bonds, in San Francisco. So, one more reason to hate Barry Bonds, I guess. Mark Carrion... Has since faded from the public eye, but his career pinch hit home run record with the Mets is likely to stand for a while, so you haven't heard the last of him, especially since he played in Keith and Ron's era. This has been Forgotten Mets. I'm Brian Renzi. We'll see you next time down hazy memory lane.
2: Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate it. We'd also appreciate it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, or on your podcatcher of choice. Those reviews really do help us. So thank you in advance. You can get the show directly from blogtalkradio.com or from any of the podcatchers I just mentioned. You can also email the show. We haven't had an email in a few weeks, and we would absolutely love one. Our email address is podcast at AmazingAvenueAudio.com. You can also follow the uh, the writings of your contributors to the show on AmazingAvenue.com, along with lots of other wonderful writers. We are gearing up for the start of the season, so there's lots of fun stuff on Amazing Avenue right now. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AmazingAvenue. And, of course, you can follow your contributors on Twitter. I am at Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Steve Saipa is at Steve Saipa. And Brian Renzi is at BRenz78. So next week, the World Baseball Classic will most likely be wrapping up. And we'll have more to talk about on Amazing Avenue Audio. But until then, let's go Mets.